From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now, I know that none of you among whom I've gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all of the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by... This kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus said, himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all, them, all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied, accompanied him to the ship. Thanks be to God. Good morning to you again. Like I said, I'm Yancey. I'm one of the pastors here. Give me great privilege to open God's word with you this morning. It's important to check the time because um, I know we have some difficulties with that clock. But nonetheless, uh, we will continue on uh, in God's word. And we've been marching through the book of Acts, looking at certain themes and certain passages that God has given us to focus on. And today we see that Luke is writing um, about Paul's encounter with some of the Ephesian elders as they met about 40 miles south in Miletus. Um, he gives them great instruction there, something that we as a church, universal as a church body locally here, can, can, can continue to look at over and over again to see the marching orders of the elders in the church, to see the uh, model that Paul gives us as he followed Christ, but also to see the charge that he gives to the Ephesian elders and to us as well. And as it's been said once or twice in churches, 
so goes the pastor, goes to church. So this instruction, though it may be for the shepherds in God's house, it also is for the sheep in which we all are as we follow the chief shepherd. So we'll take a look at Acts 20, 17 through 38. But first, let us pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, what a humbling task it is to be your people, the people of your flock, the people who you've called to confess and admit sins. And in today's passage, Father, we see that you have called us to look upon you, really, as the chief shepherd of our souls. But in this time, we pray, God, that you would prick our hearts, that you would deepen our conviction, that you would deepen our confession, so that we, as a body, can continue to experience your greater joy. In your name we pray. Amen. Have you ever heard of the story about the shepherd and the wolf? I know some of you may have read that. Uh, it's coming up as children. Well, it goes like this. There was a village on the outskirts of a forest. A young shepherd used to take his sheep across the fields to the lawns there near the forest. Every day he sat under a large tree while his flock of sheep gave, grazed the grass and the meadow. Time hardly passed. And after a while, guess what? He became bored. And he wanted some fun and excitement in his life. So this is what he did. He decided to give a loud shout just for fun. Wolf, wolf, the wolf is taking my sheep. The villagers working nearby the fields heard his cry, and they came running for help. Where's the wolf? Asked the farmers, ready to take charge. The villagers saw that the large flock, they were quiet, and they were just eating. Then there was no sign of a wolf. The shepherd boy began to laugh in amusement and told the villagers that, oh, it was a big joke. The villagers were angry, of course, right? They scolded him for raising the false alarm. The shepherd boy was warned not to repeat this mistake again. The boy laughed and replied, it is so fun to see you running. I don't know what was fun about that. But the boy did not take the villagers' warning seriously. The boy played the same trick several times the next few days. And guess what? The farmers came rushing in to help the boy again, but they were all fooled by the boy again and again. So after a few days, he was sitting there looking after his sheep. Suddenly, he spotted a real wolf approaching one of his lambs. Of course, he panicked and he cried loudly, wolf, wolf, the wolf is carrying my lamb away. But this time, none of the farmers came to help. The boy shouted more loudly, help, wolf. Still, no one came to help him because he had cried that before. So the villagers thought that the boy was up to his old tricks. With no one to help the boy from the villagers, the wolf carried off a lamb. The boy was really sad to lose his lamb. The end. You know, for you and for me, there are all types of distractions that keep shepherds from giving their lives as great cost for the flock. You know, what is indeed the, the confidence that God gives us for living under his plan for which we must care for one another, for which we must protect and serve one another. Paul models 
and charges in Acts 20, he charges them to do this very thing, to protect, to serve, to give their lives for the sheep. He, he encourages the elders to do these things. But we all must know that in order to do that, there's one who has to keep us and there's one who paid the great price for his flock. And that being Jesus Christ, our Lord. And speaking to the Ephesian elders, Luke records Paul's word plainly. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. A shepherd tends to the sheep. And of course, we know this is a striking metaphor because we've heard it time and again. Throughout the Bible, we see this metaphor, this theme. God is our shepherd and we are his sheep. We see this as, as uh, Adam and Eve's second son, Abel, he was tending to the flocks. He was a shepherd. And he was bringing the firstborn of his flocks as a sacrifice to God, his creator. And we see the same thing happening through David. David was a shepherd boy. And it's recorded that he fought off lions and bears, anything to keep the sheep alive. And he wrote this amazing psalm, Psalm 23, recognizing that God is our shepherd and we shall not be in want. And this theme is picked up in Isaiah 40, verse 11. And it's speaking of the Lord God. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will, get, will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. And then we see this same theme in the New Testament with Jesus in John 10, 14 through 15. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I will lay down my life for the sheep. So in light of this divine oversight, and the grounds for our salvation for those who are in the Lord, God teaches us through this passage that the shepherds must live to know the flock. They must live in such a way to watch over the flock, and they must live in a way to, to sincerely lead the flock, and also they must love the flock of God deeply. Shepherds must know the flock that God has placed in their care. Knowing people is one of the greatest privileges that we can ever have as elders and as members in God's house. He knows them and they know him. There's a collaboration in the relationship. There's a collaboration in the work that we have together. And it's all based on friendship. And people in the pastor's care have vast differences. There's not one that's, a, that's the same. All are, are different. So Paul's encouragement through his own life addresses some of the, the core needs of the church leadership. The core needs for them to know the flock, especially when the flock resists God's leadership, especially when they distance themselves from God and when they seek revenge and when they lead from their own strength. 
how should we seek to know those who resist God's leadership? Well, we should serve them with humility. This is what Paul states here to, to the elders. You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with humility. Paul gives himself as an example of this type of humble life they ought to live. He modeled before them hard work and dedication for the sake of their edification and for the sake of their salvation in Christ. Paul says in verse 33, look, I haven't gone after anyone's silver or gold. I haven't coveted your apparel. You yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities and also those of my companions, those with me. Paul worked with his hands so that he could have something to share with those in need. He was well taken care of himself, but he gave out of the overflow of what he had, not putting a burden on the church. Even further, Paul labored spiritually so that the flock of God in his care would learn the type of humble reliance on God's care that they would live a lifestyle of repentance towards God and faith in Jesus. Through this type of humility, they would be drawn to God instead of resisting God's leadership in his life. But how should we seek those who seek to know those who distance themselves from God? Well, we should serve them with our tears. Paul said, I lived among you serving the Lord with tears. Paul went about teaching in, in, the, in Ephesus in public and from house to house, pleading that men and women would turn away from the wrath of God. He did not refrain from declaring the profitable truth to the people of God with a huge heart towards them of what he knew to be true about God and what he knows to be true about the human condition. He says something like this in 2 Corinthians 5, 19 through 21. Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself through Christ, not counting the trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore people, we implore you, he says there, on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. With tears, he pleased with the nations in Ephesus, Jews and Greek alike to come into relationship with God, the God that they can know. Now, how should we seek to know those who seek revenge? Even though we know God says vengeance is mine, we should serve them in spite of trials. Paul says, I lived among you serving the Lord with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. These are people of Paul's own cultural background, moving against him, seeking to take his life because they were jealous. The more Paul spoke the truth of God in public and from house to house, they were there to debate him, to try to disprove him as being wrong, to take his life. And he says, 
In Acts 19, 8 through 9, he entered the synagogue where his people were. And for three months, he boldly proclaimed and reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom. But when some came, when some became stubborn and they continued in unbelief, they began to speak evil of the way, the Christians, before the congregation. So Paul decided that I have to withdraw from them. So he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him. And then he began to go to the hall of Tyrannus. And there he proclaimed the gospel of grace. And Paul did this because of the hardship at the hands of the Jews. But Paul didn't give up on speaking the gospel to them and seeking to know them. He continued to move towards them. But they wouldn't listen. They had stubborn hearts. They continued in unbelief. They continued in evil. They continued in their jealousy. Because you know something? When the gospel is preached into your heart, when you read it from the pages of the scripture, and if your response is not yes, but no, you're hardening your own heart. Your heart becomes more hardened towards God. And what else do you have left but to move against God's plan in your life? So Paul encouraged them to turn to God. But because of their desire to lead from their own strength, they did not. They did not do it. Now, how are we to seek to know those who lead from their own strength? We should serve them by the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 22, and now behold, Paul says, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me. And in every city, imprisonment and affliction await me. Paul's life is yielded to the Spirit of God. He states that he's going to Jerusalem. He doesn't know what's going to happen to him, but he's constrained by the Spirit. The Spirit has his heart and he is obedient, even though the Spirit warns him that prison and hardships await him. He's saying yes to the Spirit. And he is moving because he realized that his life is not his own. He's willing to be imprisoned. He's willing to be beaten. He's willing to be stoned. Paul is willing to be cast out of cities. He's willing to be in danger of those who may rob him along the way as he's going to take this good news. He's willing to be shipwrecked for the sake of the gospel of God going out. He incurred sleepless nights. He incurred hunger and thirst, food, without food and cold in the world. Paul experienced all these things because his passion was kindled by the spirit in his life that he said yes to. Not out of his strength, but out of the strength of the spirit. Because he recognized that he was weak, but by the spirit he was strong. Jesus paid the price for his bride with his own blood. So we must get to know one another through serving in humility. Serving with tears, pleading with one another. Live unto God. Serving in spite of the fiery trials, the hardships that we face in this life and maybe from one another. And serving by the power, yes, by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Because we see this all the time in churches. I know my friend John, he was in a church that he loved. And for about 15 years, he served there. And he was called up into leadership there. And he was doted on. He was flattered. They said, you are doing a good job. Continue to keep up the good work. Everything that the elders and pastors asked him to do, he, he did. When the church doors were open, he was there. He wanted to know the people of God. He wanted to serve in humility. But what he didn't know was over time, he didn't continue to check his heart. And he recognized there's something going on in my life where I'm moving away from the gospel of grace and I'm serving out of my own strength and not the strength of God. He didn't know what it was and he went to his pastor to talk about it with his pastor. Pastor said, you're doing a great job, keep it up. But it was something deeper in his heart that he needed to be paid attention to. And because it didn't, he made a decision, this is too much. I am overwhelmed. So he began to move away. Slowly but surely, he stopped going to church. And then he ended up in the pastor's office saying to the pastor, I think I'm going to leave the church. I'm in a place in my life where I'm not sure if I'm receiving the truth of God. I want to leave the church. I'm not sure about this type of religion that we have at this church. And my friend hasn't been back to church since. He still is in that place because of what happened to him there or not receiving the care that he needed and also believing that he can do it in his own strength. Now he has removed himself from the church altogether. We need to pray for our brothers and sisters who undergo such situations because there are many situations for the shepherds to get to know the sheep through serving. Paul's words reminds us that the shepherds are to be vigilant to care for the flock But first, the shepherds need to know the flock that's in their care. He needs to know the members that are in this charge. He needs to tend the sheep when it's difficult to do so, when the job is demanding. He needs to tend to the sheep even when they do not like him or when they do not want to come under him. Just as God told Moses when the people were thirsty for water, God told Moses to speak to the rock. And Moses was so angry with the people of God that he struck the rock. What a picture of the contemptuous heart towards the people that may complain and grab grape against you. The people that may not have your best interest in mind. God told him to speak to the rock. Speak to the people. Share love and grace to the people, my people, that are called by my name. I want to show grace and mercy through you to them. And I want you to be a model of how you're following me because I want them to follow me as well. It's not easy, but God promises to strengthen us. He promises to know us. Secondly, the shepherds must watch over the flock. How must the shepherd be watchful over the sheep that God has placed in their care? They ought to feed the flock. Verse 28, Paul turns his attention off of himself as a model and charges the Ephesian elders to pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. 
You know, Paul has some clue about this business or how hard it is, right, of being distracted in the pastorate, of being distracted as a missionary. He has some clue about how one can begin to slowly but surely not watching their lives, but distracted by something else. He tells Timothy the same thing. Keep a close watch on yourself. Be the first to repent. Be the first to confess your sins. And keep a close watch on the teaching. Make sure what you're telling people is centered on Christ and not on yourself. He says, persist in this. By so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. We will be saved by the mercies of God by listening to the gospel of grace. When shepherds give care to their own daily diet of eating from the word and praying without season, they have something that will nourish others around them. You know, malnourished shepherds are too weak to feed the sheep and won't be able to make them lie down in green pastures and lead them beside still waters. Spiritually speaking, the enemy wants to deprive pastor and people of their strength to move forward in the grace of God. Paul says to the Galatians, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Christ Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or hearing by, with faith? Or are you so foolish? He asked them the question. Just, you know, going straight to the heart. Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? No. Faithful shepherds must not only be watchful to feed the sheep, the sheep that God loves, the sheep that God wants to fill up on his grace and mercy. They must also be vigilant to protect the flock. Paul says, I know in my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And these are people within their own ranks and those outside. How does Paul know this? He was pressured day in and day out by the fierce wolves. Those who would say, it's Jesus plus something else. Or within their own ranks, those who wanted to be better teachers and philosophers to impress people. And it's a scary thought that wolves would come in. But he charged the elders, look, be on your guard. Be ever so watchful. To guard those that Christ is putting in your care. Pastor and theologian Richard Baxter put it like this. Take heed to yourselves because the tempter will make his first and sharpest attack on you, elder. On you, pastor. On you, shepherd. He knows what devastation he is likely to make among the rest if he can make the leaders fall before their eyes. He has long practiced fighting, neither against great nor small comparatively, but against the shepherds that he might scatter the flock. Take heed. The enemy has his eyes on you. Do not allow him to use you as the Philistines did Samson. First thing that they did, deprive him of his strength. Second thing they did, put out his eyes so he couldn't see and third thing that they did, they made him subject to their triumph. They mocked him. 
This is appalling, but this is what the wolf wants to come in to do to the, to do to, to do to the sheep. He wants to come in and to scatter the flock so he can pick them off one by one. But Christ is saying, gather together, shepherds, gather your people together. Bring them around the word of grace. Continue to teach them the true doctrine of God. Continue to protect them against false doctrines that may come into the church, against the falsehoods of the people's heart. And the wolf will not stop, will never stop, never, ever stop coming after the sheep. You know, Kathy, she planned a a trip to the zoo with with her children one day, her two boys. And, you know, they were excited like kids are often when they go to the zoo. And they came around the bend to where the big cats are. And, of course, they wanted to see the big cats. Being seven and eight, you know, they were rambunctious. They climbed everything. And there was a rock wall right there that they began to climb. And she looked with amazement at where they were high up, but also where they, what was down below. If they fell, the lion's den. And, of course, the only thing that she can think of, I must protect my boys. I need to figure out a way to get them down from there and bring them back over here in my care. And so something that she will often do is say, boys, mommy loves you. Come and give mommy a big hug. And she said it. Boys, mommy loves you. Come and give mommy a big hug. Under the spell of mommy's voice, they began to climb down and they went straight to her with excitement and gave her a big hug. Isn't it true of us? The Lord Jesus Christ is calling us, right? Through what's taught from his word. Come, I love you. Let me give you a big hug. Let me put my arms of protection around you. Let me keep you away from the wolves, from, that, from those who want to rip you apart. Come near to me. Come within the walls of the church. Come into membership here where you can be prayed for, protected, that people will know what's going on in your life. Get involved in one of the groups in the church so that you can not just have fun, but build relationships, settle down. Get to know one another. Build each other up. Come and do that. That's what Christ is calling us to do as his people. Because we know the pressures of life. We strive to do good and to give ourselves over to good works. But a city like Washington, D.C. wears on us. It beats us down. And there really are wolves out there that we face every single day. Whether you get on the bus or whether at your workplace I was just walking on the street. There's always something happening. It makes it fun and exciting, but it's also dangerous for our souls at times when we don't have a church to call our home or where we're not under the authority of Christ within his church. So he bids us, come, let him protect us. Let him feed us. Going on quickly now, third point, shepherds must sincerely lead the flock. So Paul here commends the people of God to God. He's saying, hey, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up, to give you an an inheritance. 
He knows that only God can care for him, care for them once he leaves. He knows the myriads of ways and, and needs that they have. But God is the one that can preserve them to the end. As Paul has already said in Philippians 1, 6, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So Paul turns and said, hey, I, commit, I give you to God. You belong to him. He's going to care for you. Look to him. And so he commends them to God. He encourages them also to commit to God. He said, I've shown you by working hard that we must help the weak and remember the words of Jesus that he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Paul said, be committed. This is the type of sincerity and love that he had for them. Be committed to God. And he gives them this instruction. You know, it is better for you to give of your life to Jesus than to try to stand in your own merits. Because when they give their lives to Jesus, they know the will of God. And plus, this is what God commands of us. To give our lives as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. Who's made us holy? God himself. And so God is saying, I want my purposes to be so centered in your life that you're willing to do whatever it takes to follow after me. That when someone comes in between you and my will for your life, that you would choose me because you know my love and that you know my grace. I don't want you just to be in love with the head, be in love with the body of Christ as well. So he commends them to God. He, he said, be committed to God. You know, Crystal recommended a movie to me called The Upside. She really enjoyed it, uh, and she wanted me to watch it. And it was a fun movie. But one of the scenes really struck me. It was a scene when Philip, who is a quadriplegic, when Philip goes out on a date with a young lady, Lily. And he's there, and they're conversing together. And he was a man that had words uh, eloquent words, and that's kind of how he won her through some letters somebody wrote for him, and they finally had a chance to sit down and to meet together. And so he sit, he's sitting there, and Philip is only a talking head. He, can, he couldn't move his arms and legs at all. And his date sits there as, you know, she feeds him, and then there's some something that drops on his coat, and he Cannot move. I mean, if you're just watching the movie, you feel like, oh, he needs to get that. But he can't. He needs to raise his arm and wipe. So he just says, it's okay, it's fine. But it gets on her nerves. And at the end of the date, they made a decision that this is not going to work. You wooed me with your words, but I'm not willing to be committed to your body. Because your body can't move to my purposes. And it feels that way for the church at times. God, I'm in love with you, the head of my life, but your people, God, they, they just feel like death to me. They'll wear me out. God, I'm committed to you as my Lord and Savior, but your bride, oh my goodness, she's getting on my nerves. Those are the things that come out of our hearts for the people of God. 
But Jesus is saying, look, if you're committed to me, I want you to be committed to her because we are one. There's one body. So be committed to her just as much as you're committed to me. And especially in this area of church membership, some of us will not become members of a church because of our past hurts. Pastors have failed us. We've let you down. We've not come to, to help you when you've needed. And, and there are all kinds of atrocities that pastors have done that we all have heard about. That is not pleasant at all. So who can blame somebody for not moving towards to, to come under the leadership of a local pastor? But God don't want us to be cynical. He wants us to continue to move forward. Maybe there are past doubts that we have. You know, there are certain issues that we're convicted on socially, even though there's no biblical warrant for it. We're willing to stand on those issues and not give in to the biblical standard of God. Maybe for some of the others of us, it's just pride. We evade and avoid membership at a local church because of our pride. We're attracted to the bride, and we see that she's in love with the Savior, yet we feel as though we need more from her, more that she can't give than only Christ can give. These are some reasons. But Christ is saying, look, you're my sheep. Listen to my voice. Follow me. If you're committed to this local body, I want you to come under me by coming under me within the community of believers. For, for others, it may be prayerlessness. You may not have come to the place where you have prayed, God, show me your will. Where you have not yielded to the spirit. God, show me where I belong. Where I can come and serve and to give my life to you with these people. So it may be a myriad of reasons, but we must indeed pray and seek him and ask him for what his will is. Because even the shepherds, they, they must know the flock, watch over the flock, sincerely lead the flock, but they also must love the flock. Paul knelt down and prayed with them, and he was in anguish. They were all in anguish in their souls as they knelt down and prayed. We see this, this mark of affection that they have for one another. The people that he spent three years with, he entered in. They entered in. They got to know each other. That was this tenderness of attachment. There was sorrow because he said, I won't see you again ever in my life. That broke their hearts. They loved Paul. They loved him. But Paul had already done a great thing. I commend you to God. Look to Jesus. He is the chief shepherd of your soul. Look to Jesus. Get to know him. He says, my sheep know me, and I know my sheep. They listen to my voice, and they follow me. They would not follow a higher hand. Get to know Jesus. I, I want you as well to know that it's Jesus who ultimately watches over the flock. He is the chief shepherd of your souls. He is the one who will be with you at night when you're crying on your bed, when no one else is there. When you're sick, down in the depths of your depression, Jesus will be there answering the question, God, is this it? Will I die tonight? Is this it? Will I see the morning light? Jesus will be there with you to watch over your soul. Jesus sincerely leads you. He's honest. Jesus is true. Jesus is lovely. He leads you besides the sea of waters. It's Jesus who is in love with you. And he bids you to come 
to me and be in love with me. For I have demonstrated my love to you by dying on the cross for your sin. And this is the love that will never let you go. No matter where you go in the world, I will never let you go. No matter which church that you are part of, I will never let you go. No matter how badly the pastor act up and don't listen and fail on appointments and what else we do? Uh, all that stuff that we do. When we fall in short of loving Jesus, we've struck the rock when Jesus says, speak to my people. Guess what? Jesus is committed to make the repairs in your heart and to heal you where we've messed up, where you've messed up. That's how deep he is in loving us. That's how committed Jesus is to us. So would you respond to his love today to move towards him, to know that he's gentle and mild and lowly and that he will never let you go? This is the tender shepherd that always give watch over his sheep. He's the one that laid down his life for you. Do you believe that? He wants you to. He's drawing you near to himself. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your tender mercies. Thank you, Lord, that we can't do this 